Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. We are just tickled pink, aren't we, Ashley? After this incredible series, all these women who were doing the dang thing, Mm -hmm. taking names, Mm -hmm. getting it done. I really also, I several times I texted Ashley to just share how excited I was about the variety of women we were able to bring to the Why Though Mm -hmm. table. Totally. Just so, so beautiful. Well, y'all, if you think that was good, and it was this next six weeks, you are in for a treat. We are going to do a deep dive. Dare I say an exclusive? Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, I said it. Exclusive on Ashley's upcoming book, Love is the Resistance. And get ready, y'all, because today you get a sneak, a peek of chapter one. And people, let me just say, this book, it's changed me. I'm not the same. One, Ashley, I just got just to... Gotta, I just got two your horn, girl, because <laughs> love is the resistance. I love that you took two seemingly dichotomous words and placed them together and gave such a vision for what life could be um, for a believer who loves God and loves people and wants to operate with kindness and the fruit of the spirit in this divided day and age. And Ashley yeah. leads the way on this so, so, so well in her actual lived life. And to all of us, she put it all in one place, in 50,000 words, bound or Kindle, however you prefer to read, (laughs) in a way that will speak to you, in a way that will disarm you, in a way that won't make you feel stupid or that you don't know enough, but that you can truly be an agent of kindness, compassion, and ambassador of reconciliation in the world. And so without further ado, love is the resistance chapter one Woo! here we go guys and before i dive into this read because i'm so excited about it i wanted to also invite you guys to help me spread this message because we have an opportunity for you to join the launch team for love is the resistance and if you enjoy helping people get along even though they disagree and if you are one of those people who wants to champion you know families and connections and people and learn about the things that divide us and pull people together this is for you and i would love to invite you to be a part of this launch team. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes for you guys to join us. And this is actually the last week that you'll be able to do that. So, you know, listen to chapter one and see if that moves you. If you want to be part of helping spread this message around the world, I would really, really love to have you on the team. So without further ado, here's chapter one, learning love. Love is resistance. It is a push and a pull, forcing us out of our comfort zones, stretching our borders and beliefs, calling us higher, helping us migrate towards something new. Love is a taste, a melody, a memory. It is a people, a place, a vision, a hope. Love is a fight, a prayer, a counter to cynicism, bitterness and rejection. It is sorrow and grief, leaving and staying, joy and gentleness, humility and horror. It is the reason I ache and the reason I live. Words do love no justice. In our desire to discover the reason we are here, to resolve the difficult circumstances and conversations many of us find ourselves in, we must learn to know love, to know what it is and what it isn't, to apply and relieve pressure in order to understand who we are and how our existence alone makes an impact. 
Love, like justice, is often theoretical in our minds. It is somewhere out there, otherworldly, idealistic, rather than the quiet, ordinary, daily resolve to love right where we are. Whether we like our life or not, love is pesky and bothersome because it is not supposed to be irritable and demands that we give up our hurry. Real love deflates our sense of self-importance and presses us to reimagine our time in order to be present and patient, to pay attention, to ask in the situation I find myself, what is actually happening here? What is required of me? What will produce a great deal of good? Why does this moment feel insignificant and taxing? What, who am I missing here in my desire to be somewhere else, in my wishing for something better, something more, in my attempt to control the narrative or the outcome? Love is a miracle. It is here now, commanding us to rise from slumber, reviving us to life, testifying to a necessary urgency. You have one life. It is passing you by. Wake up. Live fully awake and alive. Do not miss the moment to live. Really live in a time where presence is needed because patience is lacking. Kindness is waning and we are thirsty for real love. Love that makes us remember who we are, that reminds us we belong to God and to each other. The Apostle Paul, a complicated biblical character and a gifted leader in the early church after the death of Christ, wrote letters to pastors and people to encourage them in the faith. His significant offering of instruction, encouragement, and warning to believers about how to live together in the turmoil of the world is still profoundly valuable to us today. His words help us to love well while we were in the process of becoming like Christ. When I look across the spectrum of newsworthy Christianity, as well as the YouTube sermons, Instagram microblogs, self-described prophets, millions of resources, and perilous comment sections, my heart aches for words of wisdom, for truth that is bound by love. In spite of my gratitude for the easy access we have to clergy leadership, I believe we are longing for a deeper well. People are searching for voices of peace and justice who live with integrity, deal in reality, and instill hope when we are hard-pressed to find it. We need more people who will honestly say, these are perilous times, everything is not okay, and while the future is uncertain, we are here together, and the merciful Christ is with us. Paul, often absent in body, remained present to his people through prayer, persecution, and the written word. In one of his letters to Timothy, whom he considered a son in the faith, his words feel like a prophecy fulfilled today. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Why does this resonate so deeply as truth? Worse, why does it seem to accurately describe the very public witness of Christians in the West? Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, brutal, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Good gracious, doesn't that just feel like humanity's baseline? 
But why? What leads us towards selfishness? At what point does our generosity and vulnerability, our innocence and laughter, rust into stinginess and impenetrability, offensiveness and cynicism? Perhaps we lack love. Culturally, it feels like an unbearable emptiness. A desperate need for significance is perpetually driving us. We feel unable to rid ourselves of loneliness no matter who surrounds us. Isolation is not reserved for single people or for those who live alone. It belongs to those who cannot bond or attach due to past and familial trauma, to those who are perpetually trapped in toxic, dysfunctional relationships, to those whose addictions and anxieties keep them from fully engaging in the healthy practices of love, to those who long for a life other than the one they are living, to those whose majority connection is digital in nature. Certainly, many people struggle to overcome pain related to love, which hinders us both from giving and receiving. And to be perfectly honest, genuine love is a holy horror show. To lay ourselves bare, to withhold nothing, to stand naked before another and quietly ask, do you still love me, is a wonderful terror indeed. The places we are most resistant to love are the places we are invited to let love teach us, heal us, and help us see. Life is constantly shaping us. We cannot control what we are born into. We do not choose the foundation of love, lack, or hatred we receive. Rarely is our situation all good or all bad, but rather a gray matter of peace, pain, joy, dysfunction, connection, and grief. And these established rhythms and routines, however chaotic, monotonous, or absent they are, shape our identity, and they teach us how we are to live with and relate to ourselves, God, and others. Before we are even an adult, this is established at home, at school, and in our communities. We learn as we participate in these places with the people we spend the most time with, starting from birth and continuing throughout our lives, to better establish ourselves in relationships. It is imperative for us to understand where we come from so we can better understand where we are. Think for a second about the best encouragement you ever received. Who offered it? What did it mean to you in the moment? How does it feel now to remember it? Did it shape who you are and your confidence in yourself and your abilities? Encouragement is powerful. My husband Cody talks about encouragement as an opportunity to put courage in. I've found that the places and spaces we're raised, the people who shape our minds and hearts, either encourage or discourage us from becoming our truest selves. As people, we tend to gravitate toward the bad stuff. It seals itself in our memories like a bad tape we can't cut off. We play it over and over until it melts into the foundation of who we are. While that can be overcome, God wired our brains to change, to regenerate, to renew. We spend too much of our life and our time rehearsing those words and nursing old wounds. This deeply impacts how we connect and relate to each other, and it hinders or helps our ability to love and be loved. Our conflict and communication styles are informed by our upbringing. I love what Mike Foster, author and founder of People of the Second Chance says, we learn love from people who do not love us. How true. Our patterns of relating and bonding with others are too often determined by those who love us the least. Whether we grow up with two parents, a single parent, foster or adoptive parents, step parents, other family members, or another kind of caretaker, the years we spend preparing to be an adult shape us tremendously. Peggy O'Mara, author of Natural Family Living, writes, the way we talk to our children becomes their inner voice. 
We internalize the voices we grew up with and carry them with us wherever we go. Absence is also a voice. When children are left to fend for themselves, rarely asked questions, and suffer from little engagement with a parent, as adults they might might as adults, they might operate in the world as though they are a burden to others and struggle to share their dreams and desires and to ask for help in their struggles. If abuse is in the home, children may go on to be adults who perpetuate or put up with abuse or become one of the almost 21 million Americans who wrestle with an addiction. Many adults do not have a fallback plan in the form of family. There is no person who can support them emotionally, spiritually, or financially. Even in homes where there is love, hospitality, generosity, and even generational wealth or help, children will still experience some form of dysfunction because no caretaker, parent, or child is perfect. Home is the first place we learn love and where our ability to struggle, to be ourselves, and trust and connect to others in meaningful reciprocal ways begins. Another critical pathway for our wiring around love and care is our education story. On average, children are in school six hours a day, 180 days per year for 13 years straight. That does not include after school programs, sports, or time at the local library, recreation centers, YMCAs, or houses of worship, which can tack on another two or three hours per day. With commute times added in, this means that most children and teens spend their waking hours with other adults and children who will instill values, teach curriculum, and model community care. For many of us, education is a healthy combination of positive and negative experiences. Others experience a long string of good or bad, depending on how authority figures establish patterns of relating and potentially hierarchies based on intelligence, appearance, or socioeconomic status. I mentioned houses of worship because many of us have a faith story. We had a youth group, faith community, Bible study, or other place we began to learn about God. Or perhaps we learned peripherally if our only encounters were with people who claimed to follow God. We learned who God is, what he approves of, who he loves, and how we're supposed to behave in order to please him or find his favor. For some of us, that meant discovering we are loved by a good God, that we have a Savior who loves us, a Holy Spirit who is our advocate and guide, and a community of people committed to walking alongside us in solidarity. For others, that might have meant learning God is a harsh, unforgiving Father who cares more about our behavior than our connection with Him, who sets us in community so we can learn the rules of faith, who is in and who is out, and how we can perform for God rather than be loved by Him. The way we see God, as well as our worldview, is informed by our experiences with religion as we mature in age and stage. And inside these spaces, our homes, schools, and religious gatherings, we develop our internal dialogue and establish well-worn patterns of relating to others and staying safe, or at least comfortable in our role, even if not safe, inside relationships. We are shaped by our familial and cultural upbringing, and that is a determining factor in how we see the world, ourselves, and other people, as well as how we contribute positively or negatively to society. The internal dialogue we establish as a foundation in our lives dictates our direction. Or, as Alice Walker bravely said, truly, the suffering is great here on earth. We blunder along, shredded by our mistakes, bludgeoned by our faults, not having a clue where the dark path leads us. But on the whole, we stumble along bravely, don't you think? Why do we do what we do?
What led us to the person we are? And do we like the person we are becoming? We are blundering along, as Alice Walker says, not having a clue where the dark path leads us. Miraculously, when we fall, we get up again, clinging to some thread of grace we found that makes life worth living. There are times we struggle to face that darkness when we find it difficult to deal with the conflicts and tensions in our lives. But confrontation is necessary for change. If we are to internalize the best of our upbringing and let go of the worst, we must honestly inspect and confront what from our past and present is shaping our responses to people and circumstances. From the people who loved me, I learned ridiculous generosity how to keep my hand and heart open, no matter my circumstances. We are a people who turn up with a casserole when there has been a death. We are people who can sit in pain and trauma and offer our presence so others are not alone in their suffering. We are people who shout and cheer and scream for each other, celebrating accomplishments and championing dreams. We are those who give money when we have it to help with adoptions, nonprofits, groceries, therapy appointments. From this love, I learned that I am welcome, that I can bring my whole self to the table, that I am enough, that I am not too much, that my ambition is holy. They taught me to love is to show up, to give myself to service, to push past barriers, to be a safe harbor, and to be inconvenienced. But if we indeed also learn about love from people who do not love us, then I've learned other confusing and sometimes similar messages. That love is silent. That love pretends. That love is always hard work and personal sacrifice. And because I'd been told to do it so many times, love is sitting still, looking pretty, and shutting up. To be loved, to survive, I found it necessary to contort my painful, confusing emotions into a smile, to twist the truth of my private life into a glowing public review, to ache with longing for space to be myself. When I moved from my home of origin, I challenged, though did not overcome, the idea that love's most important quality is staying stuck, remaining loyal, keeping quiet, and isolating unattended. That The lie that to be at peace is to live in denial was crushing to me, and the more I denied, the more I repeated unhealthy ways of expressing pain. Growing up, and in my young adult years, love felt like constant tension to me. Depending on the person I was with or the place I was in, giving and receiving love felt marked either by fear, anxiety, and control, or by a sense of home, connection, and rest. Did you also receive confusing messages about love? Where did you feel most at home? Who made you feel free to be wholly yourself? Where did you feel unease and find yourself performing for approval? Who made you feel like you had to be perfect in order to be loved? Part of maturing as a person is acknowledging the voices living inside our heads, untangling the web of labels and names we've been given, as well as the expectations and roles we've played that are not true to who we are. Learning love means unlearning fear. Not so that we will never be afraid. An honest life is terrifying because it is high risk and high yield, but so that we can better understand why we do what we do and make decisions rooted in integrity that build the life we want to live. Not a life riddled with approvals and permissions, but a life of freedom and service. Embracing the good and the bad, coming out of denial and accepting reality and making peace with our past are how we overcome. Why does Jesus say, 
A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. And why is it a command? The Greek word here means an injunction or order from the root word entelemi, to command, emphasizing the end objective, reaching the purpose, consummation, end result of an order, as envisioning how or where it ends up. The prophetic nature of Jesus's words places all emphasis on his strategic purpose, on the end goal that by our love, everyone will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. Jesus' command to love and during the entirety of his conversation at that Last Supper, which is over five chapters in the book of John, is him engineering for us how and where love ends up. There was really no reason for the disciples to gather together other than their love for Jesus, aside from a few who were brothers. Isn't this true of us today? But we do not get a seat at the table only with the people we love. We sit at the table with the people God loves. This is why love is resistance. It is urgent. Christians recapture the essence of this order to reestablish our standing with God and with each other. We are not known for our love. People do not look at our communal witness and see Jesus. For many, their interpretation of God comes from us, the believers who are seated at the table with Jesus. The late Rachel Held Evans wrote in her book, Searching for Sunday, Loving, Leaving, and Finding the Church. This is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry, because they said yes, and there's always room for more. It is time for us to recognize that we are not too good for those people because we're all those people, a bunch of weirdos and ragamuffins. We are not in the moral purity Olympics. What is our self-righteous piety and indignation in light of Christ? Nothing special, I assure you. We are here together in our love for Christ, even if nothing else binds us but his blood. And it is time for us to get our act together. Just like love, communication is a skill we learn. And to help us learn ourselves and others well at the table with Christ in the context of our daily lives, I'll end each chapter with four opportunities for personal growth. Take your time here. Reflection and meditation are helpful for healing and connection. I'm offering you an attitude to adopt, an affirmation to speak, a question for reflection, and a technique to connect with God or communicate with others all the others, even the really annoying wish you weren't at the table, but Jesus others. As much as I love thoughtful cultural insights, unique unique takes on scripture and stories that help us see ourselves and understand people, knowledge does not become wisdom until it is applied. I pray this practice will serve as resistance to the things in culture that hurry us, hurt us, and bully us into unsustainable, unloving lifestyles and patterns of relating. May we grow together and let the fruit of our labor love be evident to all. Attitude. I am curious about life, about myself, God, and others. Affirmation. I am able to thoughtfully examine the voices and circumstances that shaped me, and I am courageous enough to ask God to search me, to see if there is any offensive way in me, and to lead me in the path of everlasting life. Reflection. 
Why do I do what I do? Technique. Create space for critical thinking and reflection. Try setting a timer for 10 minutes every day to sit in silence before God without distraction or any other influence. Is there anything you want to give God? Is there anything he wants to give you? And that, my friends, is a taste of chapter one. Oh, girl. Thank you for that. That was just incredible. Um, I just have a few points that just really resonated with me. And listeners, I'm the one on the recording, so you have to hear what what wooed me and wowed me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This was within the first two minutes. You said love is a counter to cynicism. Mm -hmm. And that I literally fell off my chair. I wish you could have. I should have (laughs) videoed my reactions to everything you were saying because it was quite a role. It felt like watching... One of those review videos that you watch on YouTube, someone <laughs> reacting to something else. Um, but I just found that to be so poignant and powerful because in our day and age of cynicism and even cynicism about our own families and our yeah. own upbringing, yeah. just the, and, and you really nailed it at the end um, in your affirmation, but just to really be able to have the maturity to look back at our own life and think, why do I think this way? Right. Why do I receive love this way? Why do I give love this way? Why do yeah. I have these as my benchmarks of love rather than, um, benchmarks defined by Jesus. And so that really yeah. stuck out to me most because we're all, we all define love differently. And yes. so to take that first chapter and define love was just so powerful to me And the idea of, and obviously it's in your title, but the idea of love as resistance to mm-hmm. the things we've been raised in, yes. to the ways we think now, uh, just being able to give such vision what does resistance mean for me not obviously i know you're going to get to what does resistance mean as mm-hmm. a whole and to us all together as believers but individually i think that really is such a challenge because we can't go about loving others until we first find out why we're so unloving to ourselves yes how we got this way and so just just the framework you built for that was just so powerful and also so gentle yeah it was so kind but uh, still with your famous truth-telling manner. Um, another thing that really stuck out to me, sorry, I wrote my little notes over here. Um, <laughs> l- learning love is unlearning fear. Dear Jesus, yeah. Ashley mm-hmm. Abercrombie, what are you doing to us right now? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, you guys, did you hear that? Learning love is unlearning fear. Yes. Are you kidding me right now? That just like, I feel like I just got cut in two. The idea that fear is the opposite of love, I think yeah. is such a powerful understanding of scripture. And it's so, it's so primal, Ashley. It this, is. Because it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a response that we don't necessarily conjure up consciously. It's so subconscious. So it's just tapping into that. This is how I'm wired. And just to unlearn fear is to learn the way of love. It's just, that was really yeah. beautiful. And they're both primal. That's the thing mm-hmm. that I think is so remarkable, right? Like, you know, when I watch my children and granted they're going up and growing up in a decently health, uh, healthy household, but I, I watch them like love comes very naturally to them. And so does fear, you know? So I think yeah. that it's really interesting to think about, you know, how much of our foundation is, you know, the, what, what's been poured in, how much of that is love and how much of that is fear, you know, because it just, it is those primal responses responses that determine how we relate to others and how we turn up at work and how we turn up on the Facebook and how we turn up in all of our relationships. You know, it's like, what is that glue that's been poured into the foundation? And, you know, sometimes we have to do that really hard work of hunting it out. And I'm, I'm confident and comforted by the fact that love is also a primal response, like that that is actually how we're created, you know, because that means we can return to it somehow. 
And it can be chiseled away, right? If it's glue or cement or whatever analogy we want to use, the idea that it really can be chiseled and we can get back and it it can be something so beautiful. Um, Another, one last thing I wanted to touch on um, before we wrap up here is the idea of encouragement, pouring courage Mm -hmm. in. I've never heard that before. Mm -hmm. That was such a beautiful, imaginative understanding of that. The idea of the action of what literally happens to a soul when you encourage another. That was beautiful. So y'all tuck that. Tuck that in your front pocket and your yeah. back pocket because you know you're going to need it. You know you're going to need it for yourself and for others. Yes. I just want to reiterate one more time. This is your last week to join Love is the Resistance uh, ambassador, ambassador, I believe is what you're calling them, right? Ambassador? Launch team. Yeah, I'm just calling launch it a launch team. team. You oh, know, I mean, if you want to be ambassador, that's great. But I like those straightforward titles. So I know. I'm inviting you to tell my launch team. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But y'all go join that launch team. You're going to have just some exclusive access. Get to know other people who are like-minded who want to do this hard and hearty work alongside you with Ashley leading you every step of the way. I do believe they get advanced digital copy. I mean, there's so many goodies. get a lot of goodies. So many goodies. So don't, don't forget to check the show notes on that. And I just, I can't wait. I can't wait. This is only the beginning. And I want to give a plug. I know for a fact that Ashley has recorded an audiobook of this. So not only do you need to Mm -hmm. pre-order of physical copy but don't hesitate if you loved hearing her talk to you like i did then you can go ahead and pre-order the audiobook as well just wanted to throw that out there because sometimes y'all the audio is where it's at so i agree that's the only way i can read a book these days y'all for real and thank you why the listeners for your support you know i am so grateful for you and i look forward to seeing where this book is going to go i really believe Mm -hmm. it has the power to change your life and to help you communicate and help you resolve all those conflicts you've been avoiding and start to, you know, learn to get along with people that you disagree with. And I really poured it out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I believe Mm -hmm. that it's really actually going to be a blessing to you. And I'm so excited to hear what happens as you guys engage with this and read. And I'm excited to do this, this series with you, Tiffany, it's going to be awesome. Mm, This is beautiful. This is changing lives. I'm so excited as well. All right, beautiful people. We will see you next week for another week of Love is the Resistance. Until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, listeners. Remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit TiffanyBloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit AshAbercrombie.org. See you next week.